welcome everybody to all of our campuses meeting throughout the Twin Cities today. So glad you made it to church on a great Sunday morning. I want to welcome those of you also watching online. We do consider you to be a part of our congregation, so whenever you can join us, we're always glad about that. We are in a series called Restart because I think it's easy to fall into a pattern of living that isn't very effective. I think it's easy to let one day roll into the next with ever asking ourselves, how's my life really going? What are my goals like? Where am I going? September, I think, is a great time to kind of press the restart button and say, are my priorities in order? Is my future bright? Is my soul strong? You know, last week's message was recalibrate my priorities, and I asked a question. I hope all of you thought about it. And the question was this, what would make this year the very best year of your life? Great question, I think. What would make this year the very best year of your life? Maybe for you it would be graduating or getting married or paying off a debt or overcoming an addiction. And all those things would contribute to a great year. But then we looked at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2. Great verse. It says this, live a life of love. Not just a week or two or whatever, but live a lifetime of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. And I confess to you that if I was able to do that this year, that would be the very best year of my life. That if I could love God and love others and make that a lifestyle every single day, it would, it would truly be my very best year. Today's message is called Renew My Strength because I think a lot of people are just tired, soul fatigued just worn out by life. And so I'm glad you're here today. For the longest time growing up, I thought something was wrong with me and that I was the only one who had certain problems that made me feel weak and insecure. I've been insecure about many things in life, including my studies at school, always felt insecure about that, insecure about my friendships. Many times raising kids, I felt insecure about that, leading a staff. Even when I get up here to speak a message, I feel oftentimes very insecure about this, and will this be an effective message for all of you? But there's something else in my life that I have felt insecure and embarrassed about for many years. And even though there's a little risk and humor in telling you about it, I think there's value in letting all of you know that I have weaknesses, just like everybody else does. It's a little odd to mention this in public, but I don't like going to the restroom when somebody else is in there. Now, for women, it's like a social event. It's like going to a party, let's let, you know, go to the restroom, oh great, let's all go together. I mean, it's, that's insanity to me, I don't understand that. I need privacy. If there's even one guy in there, I mean, forget about it. It's actually a medical problem called shy bladder syndrome that 7% of the population has, so it's kind of a legitimate thing. But for the longest time, kind of, but for the longest time, I thought I was the weirdest, weakest guy on the planet. In fact, when I was a grad student at Penn State University, my wife, Lori, and I were so poor that I decided to join the National Guard, really, just to have an income. We were so desperate for money. So I did all the paperwork, and then I background checks, and then I reported to the Pennsylvania National Guard Recruiting Center for my final screening. And it's a slam dunk. I mean, I was, in, I was in shape. I was young. My blood work was great. I could lock and load a rifle with my eyes closed. The only thing left was providing a sample in the presence of one of the corporals. And I knew this was going to be trouble. He brought me to a very open restroom area, and he asked me to go over and provide a sample. And I said to him, I said, are you just going to stand there? He said, I have to by law. I said, I can't go with you standing there. He said, pretend I'm not here. I said, but I know that you are. <laughs> I mean, we had this conversation. This is the only thing standing between me and the United States National Guard. 
He said, just ignore me. I said, if you don't leave the room, there's no way this is going to happen. He said, look, I'll step over here behind this little wall. Take all the time you need. Don't even think about me. And then he said, I'm pulling for you, man. <laughs> so he steps behind this little wall, and after some extreme mental discipline, I was successful. I eventually decided not to join after all that, you know. But how embarrassing. Huge sporting events at places like Target Field are a big problem for me with all these people around. I set the ground round once many years ago in Roseville restaurant, and I went into the restroom. Ten seconds later, a guy follows me in unsuccessful. I came out. I told my wife, Laura, I said, I got to run over to the Harmar Malls to their restroom. But when I went to that restroom, there was that same guy who evidently had the same problem I did. And he was trying to find a, you know, private spot too. Now I realize many of us, many people have far greater issues. And I have other issues in my life too I could tell you about. But what I've learned in life is everybody's got something. Everybody's got something that weakens or weighs on them. And often it's not just one thing. You know, it's a lot of things that just pile up. It's the kids, it's the bills, it's conflict, it's work, it's school. Maybe there's an illness. It's just a daily grind. And all of it together can just make you weary, worn out. You know what the good news is? The good news is God does not want us to live in a state of constant weakness, weariness, and embarrassment. That is not God's plan for your life or mine. In fact, if your response to people who ask you how you're doing, if your response is, I'm tired, I'm defeated, I'm hopeless, if that's your response, I've got to tell you, that's a sign that something is not right in your life. If I'd ask all of you today, how strong are you right now? How strong are you? How would you respond? Would you say, you know, my relationships are good. I'm energized about work or school. I feel close to God. I look forward to every day. Or would you say something like this? My nerves are frayed. My relationships are thin. My prayers are pointless. And my passion is gone. Now, folks, everybody gets worn out and tired at times. Everybody goes through seasons where you're just worn out. And there is a level of effort and work that's actually very healthy. You know, every high-performing athlete understands hard work. Every high-performing student, musician, teacher, leader, builder, and business person works extremely hard at their craft. They apply maximum effort to everything they do and often achieve far more than those with higher IQs and better talent. Working hard is a high, high virtue. We all should be working hard. But if you are always, always tired, if you're always worn out, always weak and defeated, there might be something deeper going on in your life. I believe that's not coming from God. If you're just always wiped out, there's some mismanagement in your life, of your pace, and maybe in your spirit. That's not coming from God. That's coming from something else. I'm going to show you a verse, Isaiah 40, 29 through 31. This was a verse that really got me through a lot of stuff when I was young, especially. I put this verse to memory. And again, when I was anxious and nervous and insecure about life, this verse came into play so often in my life. He gives strength to the weary 
Anybody weary here? God gives strength to the weary. He increases the power of the weak. Even young people grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. But here's the key. Those who wait upon or wait for the Lord, he will renew their strength. He will. And they will soar on wings like eagles. Their problems won't go away, but they can soar above them, in in essence. They will run and not be weary. They will walk and not be faint. The Bible says there is a strength and power that you can tap into. That no matter what kind of problems or stress you're going through right now, it will begin to feel like you're soaring above them, you're running ahead of them, and not even being tired. And really, I'm talking about the inner part of who you are. We all have an exterior, we have an interior. The exterior is the stuff we can see. It's our, our looks, our stature, our position, our title, uh, you know, how we're put together, our dress, our image, purple or green jersey. But that is not where strength comes from. Strength does not come from the exterior you. That's just a, that's just a look. That's just kind of the, you know, the, the, the veneer, if you will. Strength really comes from the inner you, your character. Your spirit comes from your relationship with God and having enough solitude to restore your soul. So the question is, how do you become a stronger person so that you can handle life's challenges and soar above them? Can't get rid of them, but soar above them instead of being crippled. And if you, here's the first way to, to gain strength. you got to trust in the provision of God's power. I know that sounds like a cliche, but hang with me. Are you trusting in the provision of God's power? It's getting up every single day and saying something like this in a quick prayer. God, you're number one in my life. (laughs) I need you today. I know that nothing is impossible with you in my life. I am going to fully trust in you. Now, we all have problems across six campuses. Every single one of us has problems. Isn't that right? Let me ask a question. What is your biggest problem right now? What's your, don't look at them. Don't, don't poke her in the ribs. I know that person is a problem, but beyond that, what is your biggest problem right now? Could be a roommate problem, could be a problem at school or with money or with your health. Could be a problem with your spouse or son or daughter or with your parent. Every single one of us has problems. All of us do. But what are problems? I think problems are opportunities for God to show his power in your life. Problems are simply opportunities for God to show up. Look what Isaiah says about God and problems. Who else held the oceans in his hands? Can you imagine this? God held the oceans In his hands, he can solve your problems. Who measured off the heavens with his fingers? Who else knows the weight of this earth? The earth's just floating up, but God knows the weight. Has the Lord ever needed anybody's advice? 
The nations of the world are nothing, nothing to God. He's reminding us of God's unlimited power, and I love this next statement. He says, you know, God, this God who held the oceans in his hands, look what he says. How can you say that God doesn't see your troubles and mine? This amazing God who created all that exists and created you. How can you say he doesn't see or know about your troubles? The Lord is the everlasting God. He's the creator of all the earth. He never grows faint or weary. He gives power to those who are tired and offers strength to those who are weak. I'm telling you, friends, God sees and knows every single problem that you and I have. And what he's saying is this. Whatever you problem you have, God is stronger. If he held the oceans in his hands, he can hold you. He can see you through. Problems are opportunities for God to show his power in your life. We don't get rid of our problems, but we can begin soaring above them and get through them with, a, with an extra power and strength that comes from above. So will you right now trust in the provision of God's power? I have a plaque in my office that I see every week. A couple times a week, I'll look at this plaque, I'll read it, just remind myself. It goes like this. I am not, but he is, and he is with me. I can't get through this, but he can. He is with me. I don't want to sometimes. I don't want to face this person, face this job, face this problem. I don't want to sometimes, but God wants to and willing, and he is with me. I didn't. I didn't create the world. I didn't give power. I didn't create myself. I didn't go to a cross and die for sins and then raise again through incredible power, but he did. And that great God is with me. If he is with me, we can make it. A few weeks ago, a raccoon was raiding our bird feeder on our back deck. So I called one of my friends to see if he had a live trap, if I could borrow it, and he came over, left it on my front porch. And actually, I brought it here today. This is a live raccoon trap, and very simple. You know, the raccoon crawls in here after some food, and then he steps on this little platform, and that thing, you know, shuts on him. It's just wonderful. It doesn't hurt him. It's a live, coon a live raccoon trap. And I sat on my front porch. Now I can't get, there we go. I sat on my front porch, and I studied this thing, trying to figure out how to set this coon, coon trap, and I could not do it. For 25 minutes, I sat there studying every little thing. And I, I'm struggling right now. I'm not even going to worry about it. <laughs> I could not do this. 25 minutes. I mean, I've got 11 years of higher education. I, I've, I've taught grad students, sat on boards, authored. I know a thing or two about life. But I sat on my porch for a half hour, and this thing stumped me. So I texted my friend Scott, and I said, Scott, I, can you come on over and help me figure out this raccoon trap? And he said, I happen to be in the neighborhood. I'll be over in two minutes. So he comes over, pulls up in his truck, sits down next to me. Within 10 seconds, he had this thing set. It almost made me mad. I said, how'd you do that? He said, well, this little wire goes above the cage, not below it. I said, you never went to college, did you? He said, nope. 
I figured it'd cost me 80 grand for four years. I could be working during that time. I'd be out ahead 200,000 by the time I was done with school. I said, now you're retired at 55. He just laughed at me, and he said, don't need no college degree to figure out a coon trap. <laughs> but here's my point. Whatever problem you have is nothing but a raccoon trap to God, and he's always in the neighborhood. God is. Whatever problem you and I have is nothing but a fleet farm raccoon trap to God. He can figure it out. He can solve the problem. The question is, will we trust him? I'm serious. Will we go to him every single day? Will we breathe a prayer of trust and say, God, my faith, my trust is in you this day. See me through it. And I'm telling you, he shows up. Problems are merely opportunities for God to show his power. Second way to increase your power is this. Learn to wait. Learn to wait. Those who wait on the Lord, he will renew their strength. What does it mean to wait on the Lord? You know, most people just hate to wait. I, I go shopping for clothes about once a year, and recently I stood in line with a pair of pants, and it almost made me crazy to wait. There were 12 people ahead of me, three registers, and they were trying to sign people up for credit cards for an extra 15% off, and it was driving me nuts. I, I thought to myself, don't they know we're all suffering back here? I said to my wife, they're going to lose my sale. She said, that'd be a big loss. <laughs> pants were on sale for 27 bucks, so I waited. It was torture. We hate to wait. But the Bible says that sometimes, friends, sometimes waiting has a purpose. Sometimes waiting is necessary to find new strength. Some of you know this about me, that every day when I come into work, I sit down at my desk in the same place every single day, and before I do anything else, I push everything aside that just wants to scream at me. Before I do everything else, I quiet my heart. I open up a good book, an inspiring book that I'm reading. I'll read three or four or maybe even a few more pages. I'll read a few verses out of the Bible, just quietly. And then I'll spend a couple of minutes in prayer. It doesn't take long. 10, 15 minutes. But I'm telling you, it's like oxygen to my soul. If, if I come to my office, if I come to my work, and I just dive into my list, or if I'm at home, if I just dive into my list, I can tell that I'm spiritually off. I'm a little dangerous relationally, and I'm not ready to face the day. But I'm telling you, when I, when I spend just those few little minutes with God, honoring God, asking him, God, will you fill me with your spirit today? Will you guide me and strengthen me? He gives me a spiritual edge that other people don't have who don't do that. I would encourage all of us to just sit quietly before everything rushes at you during the day and say, God, I need you. I'm going to wait on you. 
If you ask me where my inner strength comes from, any strength that I have inside me, any gifts that I have, it starts right there. Every single morning, those few minutes I spend with God. But there's another aspect of waiting on God that's so critical. Friends, sometimes, sometimes God will ask you to wait for something because you're not ready. Sometimes he'll ask you to wait for a reason. I've said this before to you 30 years ago. We packed all our belongings in a U-Haul trailer, and we drove across country with our two little kids from Fallen, Wisconsin, where I was a pastor for five years, to Penn State University to start grad school in speech communication. We had no jobs. We had absolutely no money. And I was hoping and banking on a teaching assistantship at Penn State that would waive my tuition and pay me a salary. There were 26 incoming students that fall, and I was the only one who didn't get an assistantship, and it was devastating. I thought, what's the deal, God, with this? We had prayed about this move. We felt led by God. We were just bleeding financially. We needed that assistantship, and it didn't happen. I thought, what? What is going on with this? But I was to learn, if I'd been given an assistantship that first semester, in addition to my course load, I would have had to teach two speech classes. And it would have killed me that semester. I'd never taught a speech class. I'd never taken a speech course. I didn't know the first thing about the academic side of of communication and speech. It would have absolutely killed me, and I would have failed the first semester and failed out of school. Did God know that? He sure did. Instead, for those first four months, I was able to use those four months to get myself ready, to let God build things into me that I would need. I was able to concentrate on my studies and then spend all semester writing lesson plans that I'd never done before in case I ever did get an assistantship. Four months later, the semester ended. Several of my classmates failed. They bombed out, and I was awarded one of their assistantships. I began traveling and teaching for Penn State all over the state, and I was the first to graduate with my doctorate out of that class of 26. All because God wanted me to wait for four months. He knew I wasn't ready to teach. And folks, what God built into me during those four months prepared me for the next three years and for the following 24 years at this church and counting I have no idea where I'd be today had I not waited and allowed God to build into me things that I would need for the rest of my life during those four months. Man, if you're in a season of waiting right now, maybe there's a reason for that. Maybe God wants you to wait because you're not ready for the position that you want so badly or the relationship that you want or the promotion you want. Maybe you're hoping for the wrong thing and don't even know it, but God does. Maybe you're hoping for the wrong person. That's even worse than the wrong thing. God knows about that. He wants you to wait. Maybe God needs to build something in you during this time of waiting so that you will be able to accomplish great things with God working through you. So if if you can experience, when you experience a delay or disappointment in life, instead of letting that derail you, let it be the trigger to say, I'm going to wait for the Lord on this. 
You know, I'm going to trust that God is going to do his work during this time of waiting so that I will be ready. Start asking this question, God, what are you trying to strengthen in me during this season of waiting so that I will be strong enough and ready to have you work through me? Those who wait on the Lord. Third thing today, come out of hiding. If you're hiding something, come out of hiding. You know, whenever I've tried to hide something I've done wrong in my life, it just weakens my spirit. I think a lot of people are just exhausted and feel weak in their spirit because they're hiding some kind of secret sin. It takes enormous energy to hide something like that. If you have a hidden sin or weakness, I'm telling you, the most freeing thing to do is to admit it. (laughs) The most redemptive thing about AA is they open up every meeting and, you know, the new people come in and they say, my name is so-and-so and I'm an alcoholic. What do they do? They all cheer. It's like, why? Because the first step to recovery is admitting, I have a problem. I've got a sin. I've got a weakness I can't manage. Anybody here hiding something from somebody? Like a secret habit? secret relationship, maybe a secret website that you visit and you know. Maybe it's a purchase you made. Folks, it takes enormous energy, enormous energy to hide something and how freeing it is to be able to say, I've got nothing to hide. No other person, you know, no other, nothing the other person doesn't know about, nothing you have to worry about anybody finding out. Some of you are just weakened in your spirit that drags on your life by some hidden sin. I could never live that way. I could never live with a secret sin that my wife and kids don't know about or my board or staff don't know about. I need to come to work every single day with a clean conscience, knowing I've got nothing to hide. I need to walk through my door at home every single day with never a thought of being found out from hiding something that my wife doesn't, that would just kill me. would eat away at my spirit so badly. It would just sap the strength. In 2 Samuel 11, we read about King David's horrible sin, his adultery with Bathsheba, and then the cover-up. And that turned into a murder, and his family was just destroyed. But he was found out. And he confessed it, finally. And in Psalm 32, David writes these words. It's like, it's just... It seems like he's just relieved that somebody finally called him out. Look what he says. He says, happy are those whose sins are forgiven. Happy are those whose spirit there is no deceit, no hidden agenda. Because when I kept silent, my bones just wasted away through my groaning all day long. Day and night, God, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Friends, that's what hidden sin does. It eats away at your bones. It saps our strength. So anybody here tired? Just tired of trying to cover up a secret sin? Happy are those whose sins are forgiven. Maybe today is the day for you to finally come out of hiding. Confess it. Come clean. Be a person of integrity. Live in such a way that you have nothing to hide.
nothing died. When I was a seminary student training to become a pastor, I was also a resident director at a college, part-time job, which meant I was the rule enforcer for 140 freshmen kids in a college dorm. And one of the rules in this dormitory was no pets allowed of any kind. I even made students get rid of their goldfish. I was tough. I mean, no pets allowed. But two months left in the year, I was going to graduate and move on. And from that job, I was going to move on. Two months left in the year, I snuck in six baby chickens to the dormitory. I was going to take them to Wisconsin and raise them and whatever, do, do with, you know, whatever I do. Uh, when I graduated. So I, I got them from a preschool, a church preschool. They had hatched them during Easter, and they were little chicks, and they you know, showed the kids little chicks and all that. They didn't know what to do with them, so I'll t- I said, I'll take them. So <clears throat> brought them to the dormitory furnace room at this college in a box with a makeshift light that I had rigged up in the furnace room. First week went by, nobody, su- nobody suspected a thing. Every day I walked in, snuck into the furnace room, watered and fed my chickens. It was great. Second week went by. I thought, nobody knows. My chickens are getting a little big for the box, but so, so good so far. So far, so good. But one day during the third week, I snuck over to the furnace room like I did every day, made sure nobody was around, coast is clear, looking over my shoulder. I opened the door, dark room, but my light was on, and to my horror, there was standing a maintenance man over my chickens in full uniform. And these maintenance men at this college didn't mess around. I was in big trouble. I could lose my job even though I was, you know, concluding it soon. I could lose my job. But the shame and embarrassment to my supervisor, I'd been the rule enforcer. Now I was breaking these rules with my chickens. But I decided to take my punishment like a man. So I stepped into the room. I stepped toward this man. He turned around And just as I was about to apologize and just plead and beg for mercy, he said to me, these chickens need water. (laughs) I'm like, oh, yeah, thank you for telling me that. These chickens need water. He said, they should be okay for today, but you got to give them water or they're going to die. I said, oh, thanks for the advice. I'm so grateful for that. I'll be more careful after this. And as he walked out the door, he just kind of looked at me, grinned, and shook his head like, you piece of work, you know. (laughs) But folks, the relief, the relief of being found out, the relief of no longer having to hide my chickens. If the maintenance crew knew, I knew I was in the clear. But that's just chickens. I can't imagine trying to hide an affair, trying to hide a financial indiscretion or a theft or a secret habit. Some of you, friends, are just weakened in your spirit every single day by some secret drags on your life. So maybe today's the day to come clean. Confess it to God. He loves you. He knows about that sin. He'll forgive you. He'll give you the strength to confess it to those around you. Man, happy are those whose sins are forgiven and in whose spirit there's no deceit. If you feel weary today, beaten down by life, trust in the provision 
of God's power. He loves you. Trust in his provision. Wait on the Lord every single day. Wait for him. Put your trust in him every single day. And if there's anything you're hiding, maybe today is the day you get that right. And friends, you can start to soar above your problems. They're not going to go away necessarily, but you can rise above them and run ahead of them as if you're not even tired. Next week, the message is reclaim your future. Some of us think we've just tanked our future. Not true. You can reclaim it. Come on back. It's going to be a fantastic weekend at all campuses. Let's stand for closing prayer. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that problems are nothing but a raccoon trap to you. Nothing but a raccoon trap. There's no problem in my life that you can't solve. There's no problem represented in this room that's too big for you. You held the oceans in your hand. You created us incredibly, unbelievably unique. God, you know everything about us, and so I just pray right now, right here, that we will renew our trust in you. We will wait every day on you. And if we're hiding anything, God, forgive us for that. Thank you for loving us the way you do. We need you every single day. In Jesus' name, amen. If you need some prayer, come on up. Thanks for coming out, everybody.